0: Hello. How are you guys? So, how has everyone's first three weeks of school been? I hear some groans. I heard one amazing at least. Eh, from over there. Mine's been pretty good. Um, do we have any new freshmen that are here tonight? Any incoming freshmen? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Right on. Well, uh, for any of you upperclassmen, if you're like me, you are enjoying uh, very much watching the freshmen wander these halls. Um, I know some of them are across the street um, in whatever that place is. I hear a boo. No one likes it over there, do they? Well, because it's, I always thought it was very funny. You know, you, you see the kids on the first day of school, and they've got their schedules, and they've got to go to class. But they're looking at it, and you get some of these looks. You get the... A-7. I thought the buildings were numbered here. Like, where's this A coming from? And, you know, you, you see the, the big backpack and the trundle? The backpack trundle? I love the backpack trundle. But, um, but don't feel bad. I'm not making fun of you. We all did it. I did it. I remember the first day of school my freshman year, I had to ask some, uh, someone who I only vaguely knew um, where uh, room 216 was which is the TV productions room because I, I had no idea where that was. So don't feel bad. We're all in the same boat. Um, this is a time of transition for all of us, uh, not just incoming freshmen. It is for everyone. Uh, we're all a year older, hopefully a year smarter. And um, amongst all the chaos, you know, like the fatigue of the past year and then the hope of this next year, it's really, really easy to get kind of lost up in all of, of the work that we have to do and get lost um, in, in everything uh, that we're responsible for. Um, and I hope tonight um, we can just kind of echo the words of the song that John was singing earlier, that, that we'll be able to kind of come in close and that God will speak. Um, we'll be able to kind of sit back, pause, take a deep breath, and just kind of think some things over. So if you guys would bow your heads, I'm going to pray for the night. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we could come together and we could learn from your word. Lord, I pray that um, you'll speak through me and that everything that I say that is from you will be remembered and everything that I say that is not will be forgotten. And I pray that we have a good time tonight. In the we pray. Amen. Okay, so tonight... I'm going to talk about Mary and Martha. Um, it's kind of one of those classic Sunday school Bible stories. In, like, first grade, you probably did, like, a little flannel graph of it or whatever. Um, but I want to emphasize maybe some different ideas. So whether you've never heard the story before or whether you've completely forgotten it or whether you just heard it and it's so fresh on your mind, I think there's something that we can all kind of learn out of it. I'm moving your guitar, John. Don't freak out. Huh. Just kidding. Um, Okay, so this story is found in Luke 10, verse 38 through 42, and I'm just going to read it real quickly. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so there's three things that we can learn um, immediately from this passage. The first being this. uh, Everyone has places to go and things to do. Uh, the first line of this verse is explaining that Jesus had somewhere to go. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. So I don't want you to get the uh, you know the idea that while I'm talking about you know busyness and stuff like that, that it's a bad thing. Um, it's good for everyone to be busy. It's good for you to have things to do, and it's good for you to remain occupied. Uh, Chaucer, the English writer, is the same guy who wrote Canterbury Tales, which you probably have never read. Um, he said that idle hands are the devil's workshop, and so you know it, it, it's it's a good thing to to keep occupied, and it's not wrong at all. Um, so, what are some things that you guys have to do like this week? Like, what what's something? Rehearsal. Oh. Romeo and Juliet <laughs> rehearsal. We got a band. I heard a volleyball. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. read Heart of Darkness. Yeah, that's me too student venture planning okay um so it's it's good to have things to do listen look this is what i took off of our fridge this morning um it's a honeydew list you guys have anything like this on your fridge it's like for your mom to write stuff for your dad that he's got to do and this one i think is hilarious because it's got this really creepy looking woman on it and she's like she's making this face and she's saying, you better do these things. And um, this is one of about seven similar pads that we have on our refrigerator just you know to show all the things that we have to do. Uh, here's another little example of things that we have to do. I keep a little planner, and um, it's really little, and there's hardly anything written in it. Um, but it's telling me that tomorrow I have an NHS meeting, and I have to read from psychology, and I have to do some notes. And... Even though I've written very little in there, I have some friends who write a ton in their planners. Um, One girl I know, named Jamie, she keeps, like, her entire existence in her planner. Like, I was flipping through it one day, and she's got stuff written down. Like, she wrote down the TV show she had to watch that night. So she had, like, you know, Thursday night, Grey's Anatomy. And it was written with, like, little squiggles and all kinds of fun colors and stuff like that. You know, so, so while mine says homework and NHS, hers said Grey's Anatomy. So there's different levels of busyness, evidently. Um, The second thing we can learn is that it is very easy to become preoccupied with your tasks, your work, or your job, just like Martha. Um, And the reason that it's so easy for us to become preoccupied is because we live in a very me-first society. You know what I'm saying? Um, We have personal computers, and we have the internet where you can blog and you can Facebook and MySpace and write stuff that's all about you. It's your space. It's your your realm to do whatever you want. Um, when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, I have two younger sisters, Hannah, who's here, and then Natalie, who's also here. And Natalie, um, so when I was about eight or nine, Natalie was about two or three. And um, I remember we had just moved to Orlando, and in our house, we have this little, like um, – I don't know, like little box thing where our kitchen table sits. And so we were all sitting around the kitchen table. And so Natalie's little, so she's still in a high chair. And it was backed off from the table just a little bit, um, you know, like a couple feet back from where the rest of us were sitting and eating because it was kind of too big to fit around the table and whatever. And so um, one night, uh, my mom brought all the food to the table and we're all sitting down and the rest of us just start digging in. And we forget to give Natalie food. Um, you know, it wasn't out of like... You know, it wasn't like malicious. We're like, let's starve her or something like that. We just—it just slipped our minds. We we had to eat. You know, we had to we had stuff to do after dinner or whatever. And so we we forgot. And um, I remember Natalie. You know, very little. You know, she couldn't have been taller than like this. She she just kind of wiggled out of her high chair and stood on the seat and said, "What about my needs?" You know, like she's three. And um, it's, it's just interesting. It was interesting. It wasn't really interesting then, but it's interesting to me now um, how from a very early age, we are all groomed to think me first. It's, ju- it's just the way that our culture works. It's nothing faulting us or our parents or, or anything. It's just, it's just the way that our brains have now become wired. And um, Martha was the exact same way. She notices that she's working while Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and, and she doesn't think it's right. She thinks that there's, there's something wrong. She, she sees, I'm busy. She's not busy. What's going on here? But Jesus doesn't scold Martha. And this is the third thing. He just points out her error. We, we, we learn from this passage that she's wrong. Martha's wrong about all this. And um, the reason... That, that she's wrong is because Christ values people more than he values tasks or more than he values obligations or work. And um, in verse 42, he says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but get this, but only one thing is needed. He doesn't quite specify what that one thing is. But think, but think about the implications of that. And, you know, ever since, or at least for me, ever since I was very little, and same for many of you, um, or at least when you were first introduced to this person called Christ, you were, you were told that, that, there's, that there's nothing that you have to do, you know, to become a, to become a Christian. You, ha- you have to believe and you have to a- accept that he died for your sins. But aside from that, you don't have to, you know, like perform for God. But right here, he says that there's only one thing that we need to do. So whatever this one thing is, it's got to be important, right? It's, it's the only thing. We don't have to do anything else. But what is it? I think it's this. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40 says, and this is Jesus. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And also, love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the, the common denominator with all those things? Love. Yeah. We have to do one thing. Love. E- everything else should, should fall by the wayside. And I'm not saying that that's easy. That's super hard. Because everybody has people in their lives who are hard to love. I have people in my life who are hard to love. You know, I hold grudges. I hold grudges. And, you know, I complain about people all the time. And it's not good. It's wrong. It's sin. But it is the one thing that we have to do is to love. And so I'm just going to give you a little bit of background for why this question was asked to Jesus. Um, the question was, "Is was Lord, what is the greatest commandment?" And you might be asking, ask, or wondering, you know, well, what's the difference? They're all commands. We shouldn't we do them all? Well, the way that the Old Testament society worked um, before Christ came was that they was that God had given to the prophets pretty much a set of things to do and don't do, like the Ten Commandments. You know, do these things, and then in Leviticus there's a whole list of do not do these things, and um, and so for for the Hebrew people. Um, doing and not doing those things was how they made sure that they would get to heaven. And so the problem was, was as soon as Christ came on the scene, those things became kind of invalid. They, they, They were no longer the way that you got to heaven. Now it was through Christ. And so but, but that didn't quite take in the minds of a lot of people right away um, because they were, they were so used to, just like we were brought up in a me-first mindset, they were used to thinking a what-do-I-do do mindset. And honestly, that's, that transfers to today. We're constantly thinking, you know, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to pass this class? What do I have to do to improve my relationship with my parents? You know, what do I have to do to make more friends? What do I have to do to keep the friends that I'm rapidly losing? You know, we're, we're always thinking about the things that we have to do. But every one of those questions can be answered with just one word that Christ gives, and that's love. We have to, we have to love. Um, this summer... I was in uh, Colorado, many of you were there too, and um, I flew up on a late, late Saturday night, and so the next Sunday, um, I was sitting around with Mark, and we were, what do you want to do today, that kind of thing, and we decided to go, um, to, to take some rental cars that we had, and Mark's giving me the biggest smile right now, he knows the story that's coming. Um, we, were getting ready. we decided to take some, uh, some of the rental cars that we had access to, drive about an hour and a half to Boulder, um, and go tubing down uh, Boulder Creek. And so we had these big, massive, like, um, semi-truck tubes. You know, like the tube that's inside of an actual tire that you actually fill the air up with? We had a whole bunch of those. And so there were about eight of us. Uh, Jeff was there. Yeah. Um, And uh, so we, what we decided to do is we took, we had two cars, and we parked one at this gas station that was at the end of the river, and we took another, and we brought it all the way to the top, and um, parked it at the top of the river, so we could ride down, and then get in the car at the bottom, go back up, and pick the car up at the top, so we didn't really have to walk. Um, So, so we, so we did all this, and we got in the rafts, and we had a blast. You know, we're tubing down; the water's freezing, and you know, Mark popped his tube. We were pretty near the end, so we could just kind of walk it in, but, um, but that was funny. Um, and so we get down to the bottom, and we're trying to thaw ourselves off because we were pretty cold, and um, our, our friend TJ reaches into the pocket of his bathing suit because we put the car keys in like a Ziploc bag so they wouldn't get wet. And so he reaches into his pocket, and the keys are gone. So we have no car keys to either of the vans uh, no car keys, we have no t-shirts, uh, no money, no cell phones. All we have are our bathing suits, our tubes, and our sneakers. Because you had to wear sneakers in the river else your feet would get banged up. And, um, so this is a problem. And, um, so, so luckily, the gas station we were at, uh, there was a phone inside. And so Mark went inside, and he started to try dial numbers. And then the gas station attendant finally told him that the phone only can place local Boulder, Colorado calls. And so that negated, like, every person that Mark was getting ready to try and call. Um, luckily, though, another of our friends, Brendan's family, lived in Boulder. So we were able to get in contact with his mom. And uh, his mom was very helpful. She said, you know, oh, yeah, my uh, other two sons are going to be. This is, my, this is my mom voice. My other two sons are going to be in Boulder today, so uh, they'll help. So we're, okay, fine. Uh, we knew Brendan's older brothers, so, uh, so we didn't think it would be a problem. But they were not helpful. They, they wouldn't really do anything. The excuse they gave was that they had to go to church. They're so, like, you have to go to church? Why don't you help us? You know, what would Jesus do, right? And so, um, but they still didn't help. Um, Eventually, though, one of Brendan's brothers did come, and he brought us T-shirts and a cell phone. So now we've got the cell phone. Um, In the meantime, before that all happened, Mark was trying to get in contact with the AAA or, like, the dealership or whatever that we rented the cars from so we could get somebody to drive out to Boulder and give us keys so we can get home. Um, And so in the meantime, the rest of us are bored. Like, we don't have anything to do. Um... So, at this gas station that we were parked at, they sold these tubes that we had used to go down the river, sold them for like 20 bucks. And so we decided to intercept the people going into the gas station to buy tubes and sell them ours at like half price. So, um, so we ended up making 50 bucks from selling the inner tubes. And so we're like, okay, great. So, uh, we've got t shirts. We uh, we've got a cell phone now. We've got fifty bucks. We can go into town and get like you know dollar menu burgers or whatever. But uh, when Brendan's brother came, Mark kind of pulled him to the side, and he knew that we had made the money, and and he said, you know, Eric, um, it'd be really great if you could lend us some money. And so he goes into his bank account and and gets forty dollars for us. So now we have ninety dollars. Like we, you know, what a great turn of events! Now we've got ninety bucks, and so, um, so we we go in and we have uh, dinner, or whatever. Um, in the meantime, there's lots of in the mean times in this story. Um, Mark does make contact with AAA, and they send someone with keys, but the keys don't work. They sent the wrong keys. Like, what kind, what kind of a car dealership doesn't know what keys they've given out for their cars? We, you know. <laughs> whatever. I'm still a little bit mad about that. So we just decided to, you know, forget it all, we'll call a tow truck. So the tow truck shows up, and uh, this is the weirdest part of the story, and I'm going to be honest, some of you may not believe what I'm about to share, but I can vouch for it, Jeff can, Zyler can, and we can get on the phone right now, like five or six other people who also vouch for this next part of the story. Um, so Mark goes to thank the tow truck driver after he arrives, and he goes to shake his hand, and he feels that there's something kind of weird, and, um, and he makes a little face, because that's what you do when you feel something weird, and the guy noticed the face and half expected it, I'm pretty sure, and all of a sudden, he thrusts up his hand, and he says, I'm the tow man, and get this, he had a thumb, two toes for fingers, yeah, yeah, and then, like, a little nub of, like, a pinky or a ring finger or something like that. Okay. Yeah. It, he was, like, like some kind of bizarro X-Men mutant or something like that. It was just weird. And so here's the, the story that he gave us. So we had to ask, how did this happen, you know? And here's the story that he gave us. In uh, 1989, he was living in San Francisco. Um, And if you know anything about San Francisco and Boulder, they're two of the weirdest cities in America. So that's where this guy would surely live. Um, And he said that he blew off his hand or his fingers with C4. He he didn't go into any details with that. Um, But that's what he said. And there was this doctor in San Francisco at the time named um, Bunky. That's what it was. I'm not kidding. Dr. Bunky. And Dr. Bunky had perfected this surgery um, on monkeys in his garage. (laughs) Yeah, this is what he said, where he would take off their two, like I guess, middle toes, like the toe next to the big toe on each foot and reattach it to their hand. And he reattached the tissue and the tendons, and the dude could move the toes. And he said he had feeling in him. But I, I, I don't know about that. That's just a little too weird. OK, so long story, already long story, much shorter. Um, we left about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we didn't get back to where we were staying in Fort Collins until like 11. So we waste not wasted, we spent the entire day in Boulder. And so what's the point? Uh, the point is this, aside from telling the funniest story that's ever happened to me. Um, that day would have been a complete and total waste if it hadn't have been for the people that were there. You know, I mean, I would take a bullet for those guys, and I'm pretty sure they'd do the same for me. And so it was, it was just one of those experiences where it didn't matter what else was happening. You know, we had things to do that night. Uh, Jeff had a meeting like, kind of an important meeting. Uh, we had dinner plans with like our families and stuff like that. But we had no choice but to stay where we were and just value the time that we could spend with the people who were stuck in the same situation with us. We were able to, to value people over the tasks that we had to complete, that we couldn't complete, but had to complete nonetheless. So it's really easy to get bogged down by assignments and work and different tasks. And it's not wrong. But we err when we take those tasks and place them higher than the people in our lives. Uh, just as the video um, that, that we showed a second ago showed, um, you know, Ryan did not value the people in his life. And in this comatic state that he was in, he regretted it. You know, we're going to regret, hopefully not, we may regret someday not valuing the time with the people who are in our lives. And the reason that this is so important is because Christ did it. Christ valued the who over the what so much that he gave up his position in heaven to sit at the right hand of God to come here and die for us. He valued us, his relationship with us, more than his stature as the son of God. And, and that was the most important thing in history. That, I mean, the single event of Christ dying on the cross is more important than anything else. And the, re- the motivation behind it was love for people. And so why shouldn't we just do the same? I'm not asking you to, to die for your friends, but I think that there are friends in everyone's lives who you would die for. There are, there are guys in my life who I would die for. But I am asking you to love people, and to love people more than you love yourself and more than you care about your tasks. The reason that God teaches us this is because it's very near and dear to his heart, and it's very essential to his character. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you help each and every one of us love more. I pray that you help me love more. Instead of valuing my, my job or my homework or my, my, my obligations, I pray that you just allow me to value people and to love people. And I pray the same for everyone in this room. You your name we pray. Amen.